following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Romans chapter 13. I'm in the right spot, aren't I? All right, this feels, something doesn't feel right about this, but uh, uh, (laughs) you guys didn't sign up for um, women counseling women or something and you're at the pornography breakout. Um, Romans 13, and we're going to read together verses 11 to 14. There's so many things that we could uh, say in an hour on this, and uh, uh, I, get, I get asked to speak about this a fair amount, and I used to try, you know, when you get an hour, I used to try to squeeze too much in, and so I just quit. And uh, I said, I'm just going to take one text that's a pretty meaty text and then uh, say what there is to say there and then trust the Lord with the rest. So we'll, um, we'll look at Romans 13 here, the, these, these verses here in verses 11 to 14. There's plenty more to say uh, about the problem of pornography than what I'll get into, but we'll say what this text allows us to say and then uh, move on. But this is what God's word says in Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, Not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask for your help as we pay attention to this text and as we pay attention to this problem. We confess that we cannot understand your word without your spirit, and we confess that we cannot help others unless you first help us and then help them. And so, Father, I pray that you would watch over us. I pray that as our church and our churches address this awful epidemic of pornography, that you would have mercy on us, that you would have mercy on us to be a group of believers who pursues holiness and purity that you'd have mercy on us to be a group of believers who know how to help other believers pursue holiness and purity. And Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified in us as we do that. I just, we're talking here on the panel and all the news is talking about the, the great darkness that we're in as a culture. And Father, the church needs to be salt and light. And so help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think that the church is facing two crises with regard to the issue of pornography that we're talking about in here this afternoon. And the first crisis is the dark, silent, under-the-radar epidemic that is pornography. I think... This is the greatest moral threat the church has ever faced. And I realize the day on which I'm saying that. But I, I think it is the greatest moral threat we've ever faced. I think it's more significant than the threat inside the church of homosexuality. I don't have to be right about that. If you're upset with me about saying that, then forget I said it, all right? I'm not trying to die on that hill, but it is my opinion that that is the case, and I'll tell you why. Um, Faithful churches, faithful churches, are not buying the lie about gay marriage. They're they're not doing it. Now, there's there's plenty of non-faithful churches that are doing it, Um, but faithful Christians who are holding fast to the word are not hopping on board that bandwagon. But there are pastors 
and Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders and committed Christians who this Sunday will rail against the Supreme Court decision about gay marriage. And then on Sunday night, they're going to look at pornography on their home computer. Or they're going to look at pornography on their cell phone. It is a sin that allows a high level of hypocrisy. Because it's very easy, it's very easy for me, just quite frankly, since we're being honest, to stand up here and talk about how bad pornography is and how important it is to be pure. And you don't know what I'm doing on the internet. You have no idea. Um, The Lord knows. He judges. Uh, But you don't know. And that's the situation that we are facing. There's always been sexual immorality in the church. This isn't the dark, evil times of 21st century America where Christians are sexually immoral. Uh, There's always been sexual immorality in the church. But in the good old days, uh, you... uh, you had to work really hard to get it. Even, even in the 1950s, when pornography became consumable in a public way, you had to go into a store and make eye contact with somebody and ask them for this thing in plastic on the other side of the counter, and you had to be old enough to get it, and you had to endure their scorn while they handed you your porn and you gave them your money, and uh, it allowed for not a lot of darkness uh, that made it hard uh, for people to want to get their hands on it. But with the advent of internet pornography, uh, sociologist Al Cooper called it the crack cocaine of pornography because it is available, it is anonymous, and it's inexhaustible. I mean, if you want to look at, a, at this particular picture for a few seconds, you can. And as soon as it's not doing it for you, you can flip to another picture for a few seconds. And if, if she's not doing it for you, there's this. And if it's not that, it's this other thing. It's, it's a limitless reservoir of everything you might ever want to look at, and it is an incredibly deadly combination. And I'm telling you, this is a problem in your church. It might be a problem in your home. It is a problem in your church. Um, might be a problem in your life. I, but I've, I've had uh, pastors, pastors all over the country say, I don't know why you're so worked up about this. Nobody in my church is looking at pornography. And I'm going, how many people are in your church? Um, look, this is a problem. This is a problem for people in here. I'm not trying to make everybody uncomfortable. I'm not rushing to judgment, and we don't need to give each other the stink eye. But this is a big problem. And that's the first crisis. The second crisis is the church has no idea what to do about it. The church does not know how to address this. They know to say it's wrong. This this is actually very similar to the issue with homosexuality. We know to say it's wrong, but we don't know how to help. And if we don't know how to help, then cries that it's wrong make it worse and not better. Because I've never had a single person come to me in counseling and ask for help, and I needed to persuade them that it's wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. That's, that's why they're doing it in the secret. That's, that's why they're not looking at it on their cell phone in the pew next to you. They know it's wrong. They don't need to know it's wrong as much as they need to know how to change. And the church just increasingly does not know how to do this. And um, I say increasingly because the numbers of people that are struggling with it are increasing and our incompetence is therefore multiplied. And we really don't, we don't know what to do, period, but we really don't know what to do if you have a significant situation where somebody is... Let's, I mean, I, I've known people that would not know how to make it through the day without looking at five hours of pornography or so. I mean, these are the people that have lost their jobs, their wives have moved out, their kids have moved out, everybody thinks they're a sketchball because they can't imagine their life 
without three, four, five hours of pornography. That crosses us into um, to a level where some people would say, well, I could help somebody that's got a little mild struggle, but with a serious struggle, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And so this is the two crises. These are the two crises that the church is facing, this epidemic of pornography and a high level of incompetence on the part of Christians. And so we have to address that. And I want to try to help us address that in our brief little time together by talking about two conflicts that we as Christians have to be able to fight Um, And I'm going to get both of these conflicts from the passage that we read in Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. But before I talk about both of the conflicts, let me talk about the nature of the two conflicts, okay? The first thing that we need to say about the nature of the two conflicts is that both conflicts require belief in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we read in verses 11 to 13, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. So what Paul does here is he uses a very common analogy that is used all throughout the scriptures. And it's the analogy of darkness and light where darkness has to do with wickedness and sin and corruption and unrighteousness. And light has to do with goodness and righteousness and purity and all that belongs to the kingdom of Christ. And what Paul says is it's daytime. He says, because it's daytime, it's time for you to wake up. He's saying the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ has risen. And you can now put off the deeds of darkness. It's not the nighttime anymore. You are not asleep anymore. Jesus has risen in your heart. What Paul is saying is that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you power not to sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives you forgiveness for your sin. And we need to say that and we need to emphasize that. But that's only half of what the gospel does. The gospel not only gives you forgiveness when you blow it, it gives you power to live like Jesus Christ. So that Paul can say, it's not nighttime anymore. It's the daytime, so wake up. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. What this does is this gives us hope. We can, as Christians, say more than, well, you suck because you look at porn. But Jesus covers that over and accepts you. That's true as far as it goes, but we can say more than that. We can say, do you know Jesus died to forgive you, but Jesus also died to empower you to look like he looks? That means something amazing. It means we can say to people, you don't have to look at pornography. Now you gotta let that sink in for a moment because uh, people don't believe you when you say that. You don't have to look at pornography. You don't know my story, buddy. I have to look at pornography. No, you don't. Now, listen, see what you're saying, Jesus, gospel, I have to look at pornography. No, you don't. You don't understand the pull that's on my life. I, I, I have to look at it. No, you don't. Well, it's so hard not to look. Well, okay. All right. Nobody's saying it's easy. It's not necessarily easy to open your eyes to the sunlight and drag yourself out of bed, but you can do it. And you can't do it because you're so wonderful. You can do it because Jesus has given you grace. Jesus has given you more grace than the grace to be forgiven. He's given you grace to have power to obey. It's daytime. The light of Jesus has risen in your heart and you don't have to sin. We have to point people to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to change them from their sin. Pornography, like so many other sins that involve soft pleasures, gets a death grip on you. It can, it can feel like its hands are wrapped right around your throat. And you don't know how to get it free. And the reality is, it takes something very powerful to release the grip of pornography in your life. And Paul says the light of the gospel is the power that releases the grip of pornography in your life. People need to know this. People need to believe it because they need hope when they're in the mess of pornography that things could really be different than they are. And so the first thing we need to say about the nature of the two conflicts is they both require belief in the power of the gospel to do what you can't do on your own. Here's the second thing we need to say about the nature of the two conflicts. Both conflicts require addressing three factors that lead to pornography. There are three factors that when they come together, you will look at pornography. You will do it. When these three things happen, you're going to look at porn. You'll look at porn every single time. When pornography is available, when you are anonymous or alone, and when you have an appetite for it, you will look at pornography every single time. When it's available, when you're anonymous, and when you have an appetite for it, you will look at porn. So imagine a room filled with pornography, magazines, videos, it's everywhere, it's filled up everywhere. You could never look at all the pornography that's just stacked up and crammed into this room. By the way, that's not a fictional room. We live in that room. Do you know that? We live in that room. Look at this. Right here. This is the room. Do you know how much trouble you can get into with just this right here? It's a ticket to hell. Right here. It's everywhere. It's on billboards, it's in our pockets, it's everywhere. We live in that room. But imagine that not-so-fictional room filled with pornography. And you want what's in that room. You have an appetite for that room. And nobody's around. Well, you're going to feast your eyes on everything you can in that room. Now, imagine the same room. And imagine... You are standing in the room and you want what's in the room, but your mother is there with you or your pastor is there with you. Well, now all of a sudden, you're not so interested in it anymore because you're not anonymous. You're not alone. In fact, you might even faint. Oh, I can't believe this awful room. Good night. You believe it's filth and trash. You know, you'll put on a good show of how much you hate it, even though really you want it. But mom's there. Another scenario. You're outside the room. You're alone. Nobody's with you. But there is a door of three-inch steel closed and locked. You're alone. You want it, but it's not available to you. You won't look. You can't look. You might be frustrated that you can't look, but you won't look. Another scenario. You're in the room. It's not locked. You're in it. You are alone. Mom's gone. But you don't want what's in the room. You really believe what Jesus says, that what's in this room will kill you. It will be pain into your life and the life of those you love. You won't look, even though you could look. Even though you could look and nobody would know, you won't look. When availability 
and anonymity and appetite come together, you will always look at porn. But what those different little scenarios point point us to is the fact that if you take any one away, you won't look at pornography. All you have to do is take, you don't have to get rid of all three. You don't have to get rid of two. You just have to take one away and you won't look at pornography. That gives us a very practical set of understandings as we seek to walk with people on a journey towards freedom from captivity of pornography. So so understand, first of all, the nature of the two conflicts, that you have to believe in Jesus, and when you believe in Jesus, you will have his power to be free. The second thing you have to understand about the nature of the two conflicts is how they both relate to availability, anonymity, and appetite. And if we can take away any one away, we won't look. All right, that's, that's the first thing about the nature of the two conflicts. Now let's talk about the two conflicts. Here's the first conflict. It is the short, easy battle. The first conflict is the short, easy battle. And I'm getting this from Romans 3, 14 in the second part. It says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You make provision for the flesh when you leave the door open in your life to engage in sin that you find to be desirable. One of the reasons so many people fail in their fight against any kind of sin, in their fight for purity in particular with pornography, one of the reasons they fail is because they feel terrible about what they did after they get caught or after they do it and they feel conviction. And they swear they're going to be different, but then they walk away and they make provision for the flesh. They leave the door open a crack or they leave it wide open to go back and do it again. They say, I'm never going to look at it again. And then they make no changes. They do nothing different. And it's just as easy to go back and look at pornography again as it was before. That's called making provision for the flesh. And the Apostle Paul says, don't make provision for the flesh. And so how do we help people in the short, easy battle not make provision for the flesh? Well, remember, uh, availability, anonymity, appetite. The first thing that we can do is to remove the anonymity of porn. We have to get our mom in the room, or our pastor in the room, or our best friend in the room, or our Sunday school teacher in the room. We have to get somebody in the room with us who's going to know about the problem. If you, in here, one of, the, one of the things that you find out when you start talking about pornography is nobody comes to workshops or conferences called Overcoming Your Pornography Problem. <laughs> nobody comes to those, all right? Uh, struggle with porn? Come to this meeting. Nobody will be there. But if you say, help people overcome their problem with pornography, everybody shows up, all right? Um, Some of the largest conferences I've ever spoken at are conferences helping people know how to help people who struggle with pornography. And uh, people people don't want you to know that they struggle with pornography because sin thrives in the dark. So when you say to people, you have to share this. You have to ask for help. This... This sounds to people like chugging Tabasco sauce. You, you want me to tell? You want me to tell my pastor? You want me to tell my friend? You want me to tell my community group leader? I can't do that. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get serious this time. I am, I am going, I'm really going to do it. I, I can do it on my own. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you. You've scared me. I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to get serious this time. Well, the problem is people say that a hundred times and it never works. And the reason it never works is because God is not interested in empowering your fight for purity while protecting your pride. 
He doesn't want to do that. He wants Jesus Christ to be exalted in your life. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so the way to access God's grace is to humble yourself and to ask for help. Now, that's an appeal that I always make. Ask for help. If you're struggling, ask for help. Don't, don't wait until the end of the day today. In fact, I'd say if you're here and you're struggling, it's 340. Reach out for help by dinner time tonight. Talk to somebody here at the conference. Call someone. But just make a commitment that you're going to reach out for help. And if you think you can't do that, then remember that the day has dawned. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose, and you have his power to be forgiven and to obey. No one can condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So what are you afraid of? The person whose verdict matters says you are forgiven and clean. And so stop running. You have the freedom to stop running. No one is left to condemn you when you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so ask for help. But the reality for those of us who want to help people who struggle with pornography is we don't get to choose who's honest with us. Right? I mean, I can say, please say something. Please ask for help. But we don't get to decide who does that and who does not do that. And so the the issue we have to address when we talk about removing the anonymity of pornography is what we can do to make it as easy as possible for people to be honest with us. And here's a few suggestions. One suggestion is that we need to be people who are open and honest about our own sin. It's a shame when our churches become places of make-believe where we pretend we have it all together and we don't have any problems. That doesn't mean we have to duplicate the Oprah Winfrey show and every time we're up in front of somebody we have to talk about all the stuff we're doing wrong and just, you know, blab about it. It's not that. But it does mean that we can cultivate relationships with people where, where I'm honest with you. We have... I have, I have four, now five guys in my life with whom I'm honest about everything. And uh, in our community group at church and with the other pastors at our church, I'm very honest with those guys. Not all of those are my point people that I'm calling when I'm in trouble, but, uh, but we're honest. And when you have that kind of honesty and there's not this expectation that like he, he shared a clean sin. Oh, you know, I'm just really struggling to love my wife this week, guys. Could you pray for me? You know? Um, when, when people sense that, like, you're being honest and authentic about all the stuff you struggle with and not just the non-embarrassing sins, people will want... To, here's a, here's a, I was listening to a preacher preach one time, and he was talking about uh, 1 Timothy. And he was saying... he was talking about how the apostle Paul said that I'm the chief of sinners. And he said, he's preaching this. He's like, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And he has this kind of sober moment. He said, you know, I could say that too. I am the chief sinner. And he let it hang there for a minute. And then he realized what he just did. And he's like, I mean, I'm not saying I do like all kinds of really bad stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not like committing adultery. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not doing bad stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful person. And I'm like, okay, man, you just totally blew that. You know, now, I mean, there were people that heard that first part that were like, you know, I think I could talk to this guy. And then they heard the second part. They're like, nope, I can't. So here's the thing. Just be honest. You don't have to struggle with the deepest, darkest, most awful sin in the world to be honest about the sins you're struggling with. And you don't, in any event, there's not some comparison happening. We're all broken and we all need help. And when we're honest about our struggles and we avoid doing what that guy did, we'll be taking a step towards um, 
the cons of relationships where people feel like they can be honest with us about their struggles. Here's another thing we can do. We know how to help. If, in fact, another story is a, a pastor, a wonderful, godly man that I know. And early in his pastoral ministry, he was struggling with porn. He'd looked at it a few times, and he's like, I need some help. And he went to the other pastors in his network of folks, network of ministers there in the area. And he said, guys, um, I'm really struggling. I, uh, I found some pornography, and I looked at it, and I looked at it again, and I think I need help. And they all freaked out. They had no idea what to say. They had no idea what to do. The meeting ended awkwardly, and one of them called him and said, I don't think you need to bring that up again in our meeting. And 10 years later, that guy was in a mess. He, now his sin is his fault, but he tried to reach out for help to a group of pastors, and they had no idea what to say. If, and, and he felt like he'd wasted his time, because he did. He screwed up all this courage to talk about his problem, and he talked about his problem to somebody and to a group of people who could not help him. When people realize that we can help them, when people hear that you helped somebody else, it's going to encourage them to want to come and be honest with you and in the anonymity of pornography in their own life. That's one thing. In the first conflict, the short, easy battle. We need to help people remove the anonymity of pornography. And, and part of removing the anonymity of pornography, I'll just add here, is not just saying that I have a struggle, but encouraging people to be really honest about the dynamics of that struggle. The reality is not all struggles are created equal. Some guys look once every couple of months. Some women look every week. Some guys look five hours a day, like I told you about. Some guys, their wife goes to bed, they kiss them goodnight, and they're up all night looking at porn, and they lose their job, and they're exhausted all the next day, and everything else. Some guys are looking at heterosexual pornography. Some folks are looking at homosexual pornography. Some people are looking at more extreme kinds of pornography that it wouldn't be helpful for me to start to delineate. But the reality is we need to know, not just that you're looking at pornography, but we need to know something of the nature of your struggle. I need to know when you're looking at pornography. Is there a time when you're most tempted? Is it most tempting for you to look at pornography when your wife is in bed asleep and you've got the basement to yourself? Is it most tempting for you to be looking at pornography when it's between the hours of three and five and your parents aren't home from work yet? Is it most tempting for you to look at pornography when your husband is out of town on business and you feel lonely and you want to look at pornography in that way? What, what, what are you looking at? When are you looking at it? We need to know a whole lot of information so that we can be able to direct that towards care. A second element in the short, easy battle is that we need to help people remove the availability of pornography. We need to help people remove the availability of pornography. Most people look at their porn from the same basic sources. Okay, so, and as I've thought about this and talked to a bunch of people about it, it seems like there are three basic ways that people get their porn. One is uh, electronically or on screen. So they're getting it on the internet. Um, they're getting it on pay-per-view, on their television or something like that. Um, Another way is they're buying it in a store, so a so-called adult bookstore, an unfortunate euphemism. Um, But they go into a store and get it. And then some people get it from the stash of someone they know. The... uh, one of the most heartbreaking things that, um, that I encounter in my ministry is the number of college and seminaries. So I've got a faculty office on a seminary and a Bible college, and we've got people all over the place, and I talk with all kinds of 20-something, with all kinds of teenagers 
who have a horrible struggle with pornography. And so many of them say that they got introduced to it from their dad. Some of them, dad meant to introduce them to it. I just got done talking with one guy who, uh, on your 18th birthday, dad takes you to the strip club. I just finished counseling one guy when he was four. His father gave him his first porn magazine. By the time he was 25, he'd been looking at pornography for more than two decades. But that's not most people. Most of the guys who got introduced to it from dad found it in the shoebox under dad's bed. Or found it on dad's internet history. And just as a father myself, I would rather be killed. I'd rather be killed in the car on the way to the airport tomorrow than introduce my boys to something like that. But this is the world we're living in and we, we give other people access to pornography because we have a problem with it. How do we eliminate the availability of pornography in each of those areas? Let's talk about pornography accessed or purchased in a store. Well, one thing you can do is you can eliminate their ability to look at anything that they would buy by collecting their DVD players, their computers that play these things. Um, You can do that. Some things that we've done in our church um, are pretty aggressive, I'll warn you. This is the part when I talk about this where some people get freaked out. So stick with me here. One thing that we've done in, uh, in our church's counseling ministry is we have, uh, we've had people install GPS on their telephone so we can tell where they are or where they've been. It's harder to go to that store where you get it if somebody can look at a map, a GPS map, and see that you were there. Uh, one thing that we have done is um, we've had church members move in to the apartment of single guys who are struggling with this. You have a roommate, and uh, they're able to see what you've got and what you don't have. We have had elders in our church be granted, be given the passwords to people's bank accounts, like their online banking, so that they can go on and see where they've made purchases. Uh, We've had guys hand over the keys to their car so that they have to take the bus to work, and it's harder to get over to where they get their porn. Now, sometimes people think that it's like the Gestapo or something like that. I don't want to go to his church. They got people moving in with everybody, and there's GPS and going looking under their mattress and that kind of thing. We've never made anybody do that. Okay, there's never been a meeting where there's a naked light bulb and cigar smoke and a weapon where we say we need your uh, the password to your bank account. These are people who are struggling, and they're saying we need help. What do we do? And we're saying, well, you have to make no provision for the flesh. Somebody has to be able to come behind you and see how you're spending your money or what you're doing in your free time. And these are people who invite folks in and ask for help. And still some people can say, that seems a little weird. But to them, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's Jesus. And as you know, Jesus isn't actually endorsing the use of meat cleavers and that kind of thing. But he's saying you have to be aggressive in dealing with sin. And the reality is you don't need your privacy. You can have all the privacy in the world and go straight to hell. That's that's the argument Jesus makes. It'd be better to go to heaven lame than to go to hell with your body working. And so people who say, well, that's weird. I don't want to give up my bank password. Those are people who don't understand what Jesus is talking about. There are people who don't understand the priority of holiness in the kingdom of Christ. So this isn't weird. This is just don't make provision for the flesh. You want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven? What about um, eliminating pornography accessed online or on screen? This is so much easier today than it used to be. When I was in college, um, 
All the sermons about not looking at porn required you to put your computer in the dumpster because there just wasn't anything else to do. And there wasn't smartphones. They had those flip things, and I didn't even have one of those. They had these massive computers that are like the size of some cars now. And if you used it to look at porn, you had to throw it away. And now there's so many great technologies that are available, from Covenant Online, uh, Covenant, Covenant Eyes to Be Safe Online. Um, the router in our house, um, we don't have Covenant Eyes on our stuff, but we have the router in our house that blocks uh, pornographic images. Um, you can put passwords. We have passwords on, um, uh, on our uh, TV and here's the thing. This is a good idea. Nobody in my house is trying to look at pornography, but it can make it in even if nobody's trying. I was playing Jenga with our oldest son one afternoon. You know Jenga? It's a blast, and my son's very competitive. And we were playing um, Jenga, and the youngest one was walking around. I think he was like two or something. He was roaming around, and he had the remote control in his uh, hand, and he was like chewing on it, and there was drool everywhere, and... We had the Disney Music Channel on, on the television. And uh, we're playing Jenga. And the next thing I knew, the music stopped. And I looked up, and it says, your pin is required to access this movie. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I take this, like, soggy thing from the, from the kid, and I'm, like, backing out of it. He just was chewing on it. The cursor moved around, and he had selected a pornographic movie from pay-per-view and had clicked to purchase it. And would have been able to purchase it, except that he didn't know how with his one tooth to code in our four-digit password. I was, I was in my living room playing Jenga with my oldest boy and watching my other one. And pornography would have filled up the whole living room if we hadn't been careful here. It's looking for you. So you have to be careful. So you can put these passwords on there. In fact... I tell people when, when I meet with them, um, I need to get an email from them uh, within about six hours after our first meeting. Um, I need to get an email from them or from the ministry they're using to block these things about what they've done to shut down their ability to look at this stuff. Eliminating pornography as, uh, accessed from somebody else. The easiest thing to do here, if you're helping someone who's looking at their porn that belongs to somebody else, the easiest thing to do is to confess that to the person that they're getting it from. But this is tricky and you have to be careful because it can be, this can be dangerous, honestly, depending on the, the relationship that we're talking about. It can also just be relationally taxing. I was helping one guy who, um, his, his house was locked up tight as a drum, but his grandmother's wasn't. She lived a few doors down the road, and uh, she got the interweb, as she called it, uh, because she wanted to be on Facebook and see pictures of the grandkids, and she wanted email. Well, his grandmother didn't know that there was even such a thing as pornography. And she sure didn't know that her grandson was coming over while she wasn't there to look at it. And so for me to send him back to her living room and say, hey, Grandma, there's this thing called porn, and I'm looking at it, that would have been complicated, and so we had to deal with that in a different way. Um, we still dealt with it, but I wasn't just sending him to her living room. And so just um, think this through carefully about what the relational dynamics are. There's going to be some people that would be very angry and upset that you would be judging them by saying you're, looking, you're using their stuff to look at something that's bad. So you just have to be careful with that, but the easiest thing to do is to confess to the person. Those things are the short, easy battle. Okay. <laughs> and I say they're the short, easy battle because quite frankly, uh, you can do them in a couple of hours. I mean, within an hour of leaving my office, I can have somebody set up with covenant eyes on all of their devices. Um, we can uh, have passwords and we can have accountability and all those kinds of things. It takes a very short amount of time. It's the short, easy battle. Unfortunately, the short, easy battle is not enough. The dirty little secret is that none of these things can keep you from looking at pornography. They're important, all right? Don't make provision for the flesh is in the Bible. So we do these things. 
We, we try to make it as hard as possible to gratify the desires of the flesh. This isn't, this isn't cheap stuff. We, we do cut off our hand. We do gouge out our eye. And it takes the grace of Jesus to do those things. For somebody from the bottom of their heart, out of a desire to honor Jesus Christ, to go and ask for help, to be honest where they've got a problem, and to cut off as many areas as possible uh, to access the problem, that takes grace, and that's not cheap. It's also not enough. Because all you have to do is try hard enough, and you can get it. It's just too accessible. It's too available. And so what we're trying to do with the short, easy battle is uh, make it as hard as possible for you to look. We're trying to buy as much time as possible for you to think about this and ask for help before you look. We're trying to allow time for grace to grow in your heart as we accomplish real and lasting change, but it is not enough to get honest and to have passwords and that kind of thing. And that's why we need the second conflict, which is the long, hard war. And this long, hard war is where we don't go after the anonymity and we don't go after the availability, but we go after the appetite. We go after our desire to look at it. The, the goal is to get to a place where I don't want it anymore. I mean, I don't need passwords. I, I don't need somebody living in my apartment because I don't want it. I have no desire for that anymore. There's a Puritan that uh, wrote about chaining up our lusts. And uh, he was saying when we, when we do these kind of accountability things, he didn't use that exact language, but when we use these kind of accountability tactics, it's like putting a rabid dog on a chain. And he has this great line. He says, a dog on a chain is still a dog. That's so wonderful. A dog on a chain is still a dog. You can chain up your lusts, but at the end of the day, as soon as that chain is broken, the lust is going to run around like a rabid dog and do exactly what it was doing before. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ can make it so that what's on the end of that chain is not a dog anymore. Jesus can change you. How do you change your appetites? Well, you can't change your appetites, but Jesus can. Jesus could make it so that you don't want pornography anymore. How, how does he do that? Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. It's good to walk properly. I take it because the Holy Spirit inspired this guy to say it. So let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. And drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The first and the best thing that we do in ministry to people struggling with pornography is we point them to the grace of Jesus Christ. The way we help people change over the long haul so that they don't want pornography anymore is having them want Jesus way more than they want pornography. And so, the battle to help people be free from the captivity of pornography is the battle to help them see Jesus as increasingly glorious as increasingly beautiful and as increasingly powerful for the struggles that they face. How do you do this? Well, there's all kinds of ways to do it. You can, you can have them read good books about Jesus. Some of the books that I've had guys look at um, are um, like Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. Um, I think... Piper can be kind of a hard guy to read, uh, particularly for guys who are struggling. And particularly for guys, if you've been looking at porn for hours every day, you're not going to sit and like plow through future grace or something like that most of the time. Uh, I think it can be kind of tough sledding. But, but seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is really, really short. The chapters are about five or six pages. And it's just directed like a laser at how awesome Jesus is. Uh, so that's one book that I'll, um, that I'll give uh, to folks sometimes. Um, 
There are others, but that's one good example. You have them read good books. The best book you can have them read is the Bible. People who are struggling with pornography need to hear and encounter Jesus Christ healing the man born blind. They need to have a look at Jesus Christ sitting down at a well and talking with an immoral woman and he never felt any temptation but to love her and to point her to the fountain of life, which was himself. People need to encounter Jesus as he gets angry with the Pharisees and see his zeal for the things of God. They need to encounter Jesus Christ. And so have people read the Bible. And don't just have them read the Bible, but help them get worked up about the Bible. Help them see who this Jesus is and what he, what he can do. Who, who can walk on the water? But Jesus can. Who can heal a deaf person? But Jesus can. Help them get excited about Jesus by pointing them to him in the Bible. Help them to pray. Help them to pray to Jesus. We think of this um, prayer thing as something we do during isolated parts of the day, maybe at the beginning of the day or when we get to some safe place where we can pray. But the Bible teaches us again and again and again that God is immediately available to us whenever we pray. He's right there, and we access him through prayer. You don't have to wait until you're out of the tempting spot to reach out to Jesus and ask him for his help. You could teach them right now, Lord, when you're tempted, say, Lord, I am tempted. I want to look. Help me. Show me who Jesus is. In, um, in John chapter 15, it says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What abiding is in John chapter 15 is two things. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You abide in Jesus when you're reading the Bible. How are you going to get Jesus' words? The Bible. You abide in Jesus when you read the Bible. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. You abide in Jesus when you read the Bible and you abide in Jesus when you pray. How do you ask Jesus for what you want? You pray. You abide in Jesus when you read the Bible and when you pray for what's there. So you, you're asking for the words that are abiding in you. This is, ask whatever you wish and you'll, it'll be done for you. This is not saying, um, Lord, I want a Lamborghini. Poof, Lamborghini. Lord, I want a million dollars in each pocket. Poof, million dollars in each pocket. That's not what this is. This is when the words of Jesus are abiding in you, you will ask for the words that are abiding in you. And then you'll get what you ask for. This is a guarantee, a guarantee from Jesus Christ that God will answer all of your scripture-informed prayers. You think I overdid it? We'll take it up with Jesus. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Jesus just said it more strongly than I did. So if you do what Jesus tells you, if you're tracking with him, then the first word that will be abiding in you is this one. So this means we can say to people, pray, Jesus, I want to abide in you. I want to be in your word. I want to be much in prayer. When you pray that prayer, you're doing what Jesus said and you will benefit from his guarantee if you pray it in faith. That's not overdoing it. That's just believing Jesus when he speaks. He has spoken. When that word abides in you and you ask for it, it will be done for you. So pray in faith. Pray a strong believing prayer. Jesus, plant my feet solidly on your word. 
And make me a man or a woman who loves to pray to you and ask you for things and believe that you'll give them. So we're pointing people to Jesus as they read the Bible. We're pointing to people to Jesus as they seek him in prayer. And we're also pointing people to Jesus as they sing. We want people to sing. God wired us so that our affections are closely tied to singing. This is why 150 chapters of the Bible are songs. This is why in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, we're told to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and to be singing, to make melody to the Lord in our heart. There is something about singing that makes the word, that makes Christ come alive. I don't think there's a secret weapon in the fight against pornography, but the closest that I've come to it is this issue of singing. We are teaching men and women who struggle with porn to be men and women who sing about Jesus. When you're waking up in the morning and you think it might be a hard day, sing. When you feel tempted, and as soon as you feel tempted... Right when you think, this might be a good idea later when I get home. Start singing. And you don't have to sing out loud. You can. But uh, if you're someplace where that might be off-putting to others, you can sing under your breath and it has the same effect. I've tried it. It works. Uh, When I am laying in bed in the morning and I need to get out, and pray, but I don't want to because beds are comfortable. Um, I, uh, I just start singing under my breath because if I sing out loud, my wife would divorce me. Um, and I don't want that. So I sing under my breath and it invigorates me to want to get out of bed and seek the Lord in prayer. So if you can't sing out loud, then uh, sing under your breath, and it will accomplish the same thing. One of the songs that is just seared in my heart and is so appropriate for this problem is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My goodness, that I I so want the church to sound like that song. That we'd be people who are turning our eyes on Jesus and looking at him and having the things of earth, even and especially pornography, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You can look at pictures of naked people or you can look to Jesus Christ in song. But you cannot do both at the same time. You have to stop doing one to do the other. And so as we are, in fact, if you told me, my wife looked at me the other day, we were talking about some, some invitations, I had to go talk at some places, and many of them had to do with pornography, and she said, you know you're the porn guy, don't you? I was like, I don't want to be the porn guy. I do not want to be the porn guy. Um, And if you told me I was going to have to spend the rest of my life talking about porn and helping guys not look at porn, I would despair this afternoon. Um, But I don't don't think I'm the porn guy. Um, Our job as Christians is not to get people to quit looking at porn. It's something way better than that. Our job is to get people to turn their eyes upon Jesus. It's to help them look full in his wonderful face, and as they do that, to have the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's, we, we want people not to look at porn, but we want them to do it because they're so busy looking at Jesus, there's no room left in their heart for it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd fill us up with Jesus. I pray that... You would sink your word down deep into our heart, that we would be people who win the short, easy battle. We'd be people who win 
the long, hard war. And we'd be people who do it because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that forgives us and empowers our obedience. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org. Thank you.